0: Welcome to the Habits of Leadership podcast, brought to you by Cut Through Coaching, helping leaders and their teams to thrive, professionally and personally.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Habits of Leadership podcast. My name is Dan Hasler and joining me today making his long-awaited return to the airwaves, is my friend and colleague, Mr. Tim Perkins. How are you, mate? I'm
2: very well, Daniel. How are you going?
1: Not too shabby, my friend. Nice w- to
2: be back in the seat. Well, it's been a while, mm. so much
1: so. It's been so long. I was at an event, I'm going to say, probably a month and a half ago now, and I've given the talk, and as as often happens, people you know mill about at the end and come and, come and chat. And this person came up to me, this bloke came up to me and said... Uh, Hey Dan, can I ask? I said, "Can I?" Yeah, mate. What? What? He goes, "Is Tim all right?" <laughs> and I said, "What do you mean, is Tim all right?" Because he's not been on the podcast, and he was—he was kind of worried, mate. He'd worried you'd—you'd you'd fallen off the perch. But I can tell. I can tell all our listeners, fear not. Sitting across from me as we speak is the picture of health. Perko, what have you been doing, mate? What have you been up to?
2: I'm back, baby, and I appreciate the uh, concern Mm. about my health. My demise has been... uh,
1: So you're a bit like Mark Twain, mate, where news of your death has been uh, greatly exaggerated, isn't it?
2: Absolutely. I don't know if anyone thought I was dead, but as it turns out, I was just in the back blocks. I'm doing lots of things, Dan, lots of of reading, lots Mm. of uh, writing, lots of... uh, talking with audiences and uh, just haven't been sitting in the podcast chair for a little while, but it's good to be back.
1: It is indeed. And um, for this podcast, actually, we're featuring an interview that you just done in the past couple of days as it happens mm. with Sophie Scott which might be a name that's familiar to some of our Australian listeners in particular but for the benefit of those Aussies who aren't sure who she is or and certainly our international audience who who is Sophie Scott and why on earth is she on our podcast?
2: Mm, well Sophie Scott, Sophie Scott's an interesting person because she's a journalist with the ABC television in uh, in Australia and has been for a long time, maybe 20 years and it was funny interviewing her because her face is so familiar. It was like sitting down opposite an old friend. Um, but as it turns out, I'd never met her before. So I hope I wasn't too familiar with her. Um, so, yeah, she's a, she's a writer. She's very big in the world of well-being these days. She does a lot of uh, posts on social media, on Instagram and on LinkedIn around the research she's doing around people's well-being and what we need to do to live a happy and full and productive life. Um she's written a couple of books. She wrote a book called Road Testing Happiness, uh how to be happy that, and then she wrote another book called Live a Longer Life: The Scientific Secrets of Health and Wellbeing at Any Age. Um she's won a lot of awards for her journalism work. She's uh she works as a medical reporter for the ABC television and um she yeah, she's won a lot of awards from medical bodies for the quality of her research and her journalism. And, yeah, it was a total delight to mm. sit down with her.
1: And w- what were some of the – because I know that it was a LinkedIn post of hers, I think, that drew your yeah. attention, specifically in Thought Hacking okay, on we should we should have a chat with uh, Sophie. What what are some of the key things that people are going to get out of this chat, do you think, when when they listen?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right, Dan. She wrote a post that caught my eye about the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve uh, is related, as you'll hear me uh, talk with her in the interview in a little while, Um Vagus nerve is a nerve that runs through some of the or several of the major organs of the body and really helps us with regulating um, our our immune system, our responses to stress um, and she Sophie mentions lots of things that we can do to help regulate that vagus nerve and bring in what's known as the parasympathetic nervous system because it's the sympathetic nervous system that kicks in when Uh, we have a stress response to something and the parasympathetic uh, brings us back into a calm space. And so she talks about multiple things that we can do to help bring that parasympathetic nervous system into play so that we can self-soothe, so that we can calm ourselves in stressful situations. And turns out, as we've discovered, Mr Hasler, that uh, a lot of people are under a lot of stress these days and those stressful situations keep raising their heads. So I think having a few... Uh, techniques that we can work on, um, particularly around breathing, mm. um, and different things that we can do to to calm ourselves.
1: Yeah. Sounds good, mate. So, uh, how how did you kick things off with her?
2: Well, I asked her how she ended up in the world of well being.
0: Um, Tim, I either when I was younger, I really had either two ambitions, career wise, um, and it was to either be a psychologist or a journalist. And those two professions, while they sound quite different, there's actually quite a big crossover because as a journalist, you need to be a good listener, you need to have empathy, you listen to people's stories, and it's the same thing with psychology and both professions, both journalism and psychology and mental health, it's all about um, understanding why we do what we do, um, human behaviour, what makes us tick, and I've always been fascinated with that from even from when I was very young is understanding, you know, humans and why we do what we do and why we feel the way we do, particularly. So, but I love writing and I loved reading as a child. I was a really big reader and I loved writing. Um, And so journalism was probably something that I felt more drawn to because I felt I was able to sort of be, it was a great creative outlet for me. So I just but interestingly it's interesting that I've ended up in the sort of science and medicine side of thing because if you look at my my younger years at sort of school and then at university I studied history at university so I was much more into English and um, English literature and and I did a, I majored in history and so there was really not a lot of science or medicine happening at all <laughs> I didn't yes. do any science or medicine at all for my um, final studies and I was much more interested in the creative sort of side of things and but it was really and I worked as a different type of journalist I worked In Australia, I worked as a political reporter for quite a few years, which really made me, even when I was pretty young, quite cynical. And that's why I wanted to, even though it's very influential when you're a political reporter, you have a lot of influence, you know what's going on. But I found I was being drawn into the cynicism of politics and I didn't like that. And so i also worked as an entertainment reporter in LA, which was lots of fun for both Channel 7 and Channel 10. You know, getting to go to the Oscars and meeting famous people, and even you know meeting people who you know like Olivia Newton-John, and which was amazing. So Mm. that was a fantastic experience as well. Um, What I learned from that is that you know some of the people who seem the nicest and the most down to earth really are that way. Mm. You know, they really are down to earth and really nice and very professional. And even though I enjoyed it, it was lots of fun and lots of glamour and getting to go to the Oscars and everything. I just sort of, i there was a sort of sameness to it and there wasn't a lot of depth to that sort of reporting, even though it was lots of fun and you got to tell good stories about different celebrities that you're meeting. And so I started to do some health reporting as well when I was based in the United States. I was working for ABC in Washington and so I started to do some medical and health journalism there. And so when I moved back to Australia after five years in the US, I really wanted to focus and became much more interested in just. In dis- focusing on, on health and science, journalism in particular, and then when I got a full-time job um, with ABC back in Australia, I was just lucky enough to be able to move into that area and mm. have really stayed in that area. But the way journalism evolves and is evolving is that even though, and this is probably the same for a lot of professions, even though you, your job title might be the same, your day-to-day life and what you actually do in that job mm. is, is so different it's different, you know, now to what we did six months ago and it'll be different in six months again. And what we do this year is different to last year. You know, it's constantly evolving. We're, you know, we're focusing on different platforms now, you know, we're focusing on make getting younger audiences through social media and as well as keeping our existing audiences happy with traditional media like the you know, seven o'clock news. So I find that aspect of it fascinating. I'm really, I really like going to where the audiences are. So that's why I've been Um, I've really made a big thing about being on social media and having a good presence there, offering value to the audience. So you're there offering Mm. information and evidence-based information, which I put out on my Instagram, but also I've started putting it out on LinkedIn as well, and I was really amazed at the level of engagement on LinkedIn. People are really keen for that science-based, evidence-based approach to Mm. managing your stress, managing your mental health, and what you can do just on a daily basis to feel better and to avoid avoid burnout and to sort of be as happy and, and productive at the same time.
2: Yeah, well, productive. You are an incredibly productive person. Uh, in a conversation we had last week, you suggested that I jump on Instagram yeah. and have a look at some of your, your posts there. And I, I wasn't an Instagram user prior to that, but uh, I did jump on. What a great medium for being able to share some of the stuff uh, that you're doing in sort of bite-size manageable chunks to help people you know, really, you know, live happier, more productive, healthier lives, which is is clearly a big motivation for you, Sophie. And and I, I actually, you mentioned LinkedIn, I think that's where I saw your article originally. And that's what drew me to this. Tell me, you, I don't know if crusade's too strong a word, but it appears you're almost on a crusade to help people live happier and healthier lives. Where, where has that come from for you? I mean, I know you've got your own story of burnout, which we might get to shortly. But it, was that the catalyst for you to to really be interested in this stuff?
0: Oh, look, I've always, I think, even from a young age, I've always been interested in in psychology and mental health. Mm. But as I've got older and I've really um, understood that people want two things: they want, you know, to understand the science of why things make a difference. Because to, when you understand why something or how something works. Whether it's meditation, whether it's exercise, when you understand what it's doing to your brain, how it's changing how you function, then you're much more likely to do it. So you don't need to find, you don't need to wait for the motivation. Once you understand that from a scientific point of view, these changes, you're going to be changing your neurochemistry, you're going to be changing your physiology. So you don't need to wait for motivation. You can just do it and then you'll see the impact of it. So I think people find that very useful. And then also practical tools. I think we're all sort of looking for ways that we can be happier and healthier. But also, you know, many of us, and I'm sure many of your audience, you know, have very busy lives and they need to find rituals and things that they can embed in a day where they might be working full-time and, you know, getting kids to school or running their own business or managing a team of people. So you need to be realistic about what's Mm -hmm. achievable as well. And I think that's another thing that I try to do is to give people Good evidence-based information but also what's realistic (laughs) what's realistic and and the thing that I always believe is that consistency is much more important than intensity so you're much better off Mm. to think about doing something for five minutes every day than you are for say like an hour on the weekend but then nothing during the week so if you can find five minutes of you know doing some mindful breathing or you know 10 minutes during your lunch break and Then something else at the end of the day and just building in those little rituals and they're the things that i found have really made a difference and the the reason that if you do those little small acts sort of regularly is then the behavior becomes automatic and you know 80% of our our behavior and our thinking is automatic and so you don't choose to do it you actually just do it without thinking if you think about that you know there's so much of what we do you don't actually actively think oh I'm going to I'm going to go and do this now. We just You just do it. And so the goal is to make these behaviours that are so good for you as automatic as possible. So you don't yeah. have to think, oh, do I want to meditate this morning? You just do it straight away as soon as you wake up.
2: And tell us, Sophie, yeah, I mean, as as you suggest there, all, all these these little micro habits that we can build in because we can all find a reason not to find an hour to go to the gym. Whereas if we have, you know, we've all got five minutes to do bits and pieces. And Dan and I talk a lot about this idea of, you know, people talk about time management and the struggles, everyone's so busy and time, you know, is is such a rare commodity. But, you know, we sort of reframe time management as choice management. And I think some of the stuff that you're talking about there lines up beautifully with that idea of choice management. You know, I'm choosing now while I'm sitting on the bus on my way to work to do 10 minutes of mindful breathing
0: that's a really good reframe for your mindset because what it makes you realize is that we all actually have a lot more choice than we realize in terms of how we spend our time and moments you might not have choice over the job that you do or how your partner behaves but I like to sort of focus on the the stoic philosophy of focusing on the things that you can control Ooh. and one of the things that you can control is how you spend those moments where you you do have a, a moment to yourself and and how you spend that those sort of th- that time so yeah, focusing on the things that you can control which are your own thoughts and words and actions rather than wanting everyone else to change or rather than wanting your boss to be less toxic what are the yeah. things that you can do that are going to make a difference for how you feel
2: and yeah look I totally agree with you and I think the um time management while we're on it I should thank you for your time today because I know you're heading overseas tomorrow (laughs) uh and you had a free day just before you left I'm sure you've got plenty of things to do but thank you for the time you're spending with us here um tell us I read uh, a bit about a story about you going up to speak at a conference and um and and things you know the wheels falling off a little bit um and and that being sort of your burnout story and and one of the areas I'd like to get to is how did you, what was your story, first of all, how did you address it? And looking back, um, you know, what thoughts have you got for people who might be experiencing that sense of overwhelm, potentially as extreme as burnout, um, you know, um, yeah. So tell us a bit about what happened for you.
0: Sure. So. I might just be, I'm happy to tell you the story, but I'll just give people a little bit of a definition of burnout because I didn't really realise what it was or that I was in that state until I really looked at the criteria and, and basically ticked every single box. Mm. So burnout is when you feel physically and emotionally exhausted, you have trouble concentrating, um, your cognitive function can be impacted and you feel very distracted a lot of the time. Another big component, though, is that you... Don't get the joy out of something that you really used to love doing. And Mm. often uh, burnout affects people who are very passionate about their careers. The caregiving professions like teaching, healthcare, um, those sort of professions are amongst the highest rates of burnout because people give so much of themselves to the job that they're doing. So often people can feel very disconnected and very disengaged and think that they're not doing a good job even though they they probably are so so that's why burnout is a lot more than just sort of having a you know being tired or needing a you know a long weekend to get over it
2: yeah it's a really great definition um sophie because i think the word gets used quite easily uh particularly in education uh people talk about being burnt out and there was a there was a very interesting book called teacher by gabby stroud a few years ago a victorian teacher And she believed that she was burnt out, but she didn't really meet a lot of those markers that you've just described. She was told by others that she was burnt out. And, you know, as she did some, you know, of her own work afterwards, she discovered that she was really demoralized rather than burnt out, which is, you know, it's a nuanced difference, but it's quite a significant difference as well. You know, she kept being asked to do too many things in education Mm -hmm. that she no longer morally agreed with.
0: And that, um, that sense of moral injury, where you're actually doing things that go against your values, that's something that they talk about in healthcare quite a bit. Where mm. healthcare workers, because there's so um, there's such a lack of resources, they're not able to provide the the quality of care, and that there is a sense of moral injury. But yeah. that is really a little bit different to burnout. Burnout yeah. is when you still want to do a really good job, and you still, but you are so physically and mentally exhausted that you actually can't even if you wanted to take on all the things that you were being asked to do you physically and mentally and emotionally don't have the it's really just that like there's nothing left in the tank yeah out. it's um your nervous system is probably been running on you know super high in fight or flight with the adrenaline and the cortisol pumping through your your, your nervous system and then it just becomes to the point where it becomes so depleted there's just there's just nothing left it's like the whole system just shuts down as a self-preservation mode really Mm. to say you know you need to take it easy and so what happened with me is that I've been really busy um, as well as doing my job um, as a reporter I do a lot of external work like I host a lot of events and facilitate events to do with health and speak at different conferences and and I've also got four kids got um, two sons and 2 stepsons and that, you know, they were a bit younger then. And so it was a bit more full on having the kids. And so it was just this very high pressured life, which I really loved doing. But after a while, it does sort of catch up with you. And I'd been feeling pretty overwhelmed and, and pretty exhausted for a while. But it was only when I went to this event and I flew up, I'd worked all day. I jumped on a plane, flew up to Brisbane to host this event for healthcare workers, honouring healthcare workers. So I really wanted to do it. And then when I walked out onto the stage I and I stood at the podium and I just had this overwhelming dizziness just hit me like a ton of bricks and it wasn't nerves, it wasn't like panic attack or anything like that and I knew that there was something really physically not right because I'd mm. never felt that before and I seriously thought I was going to topple over and end up in the audience with the oh, doctors yeah. and nurses Safe so place it, to
2: do it, probably. Safe
0: place to do it. Thankfully, <laughs> it didn't happen, but I was a little bit worried for there for a minute. And so I managed to get through this event, and and just I actually had to sit down in between the different awards and just sort of try to, you know, calm my nervous system down because it was my autonomic nervous system had just really stopped working at that point. And I managed to get through the night and go back to the hotel, and and then it was really just when I was flying back home, and I just I thought to myself what what is the body trying to tell me with this you know the we can from a mental point of view we can keep going and keep going but the body you know there's a there's a great book called the body keeps score and the body mm. tells you even if your mind doesn't want to hear it and and so that's something for me it was like a wake up call to say i've got to look at i've got to reevaluate what i'm doing and i've got to get myself into a better situation so that i am not feeling like this and you know, everything that was happening to me was classic, you know, my autonomic nervous system not working properly. And so when I came back, I had, you know, some medical tests just to make sure that there was nothing else going wrong. But the doctors really said that it was just really, you know, these were classic signs of burnout where your physical health starts to be impacted as well as other symptoms as well. But when, when the body starts to sort of say you need to you know do something about this and the reason I will share the story Tim is because I don't want other people to get to that point and often people might sort of identify with some parts of it they might say oh, well I feel exhausted as well but I'm not at that point yet where, I've, yet where I feel you know disconnected or disengaged so that's the time to sort of act and do something and say okay I don't want to end up you know really not able to do my job or not enjoying my job anymore not enjoying what I'm doing and so that's the time to really think: what are the things that I can do to put some boundaries in place? To you know, I talk about doing like a stress audit of like what are the the stresses what, that you're dealing with on a daily basis, and what are the things that you um, you can you have control over that you can influence? And there are things that you definitely can do, and that's what what I talked about when I said earlier: there are, we do have actually more control than we realize over. Mm. Our lives, and often when you're in the weeds doing it and so busy, it can be hard to see that. But stepping back a little bit and thinking, what can I do? What can I let go of? What can I? I talk about ditching, delegating, or um, delaying, <laughs> rather than when you have this massive to-do list. And also recognizing that if you get to the bottom of your to-do list, the reality is the next to-do list just starts. So prioritizing the things that really matter, rather than thinking I've got to get to the end of this list, because once that list's over, then you just start the next another
2: one the next Ooh. day. This all uh, sounds great in theory, Sophie Scott, but um, having a having a good look at your profile online and and looking at what you've been doing over the last twenty years at least, uh, you're a goer. You know, you're, you're you're someone who gets a lot done. And then, you know, I saw your dog a bit earlier on the Zoom and um and you know four kids and a husband you know very very busy life someone like you and a a lot of our listeners might have parallels with that uh you don't really like slowing down it's not really your preferred state um you know productivity is perhaps your preferred state stimulation creativity productivity you know um how how did you go with that and and what thoughts have you got for people who might have a similar personality profile because it's very easy to say yeah take a stress audit slow down ditch a few things delay a few things what's the reality
0: look you're 100% right Tim you're very very astute i must say you are very astute and often people who do have that sense of productivity equals your self-worth yep. can be the ones that find it very difficult To slow down and I'll give you a good example a a friend of mine from work gave me a book about called the art of rest and how you know how important rest is and blah 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 and she gave it to me a few years ago and honestly I I hate to say it but I actually didn't read it but I should have read it I should have read it because it's important to think that if you think about you know elite athletes and you mentioned you have elite athletes and they're community that listens you know elite athletes build in rest and recovery as a crucial part of their ability to train and perform at the highest level so why are, are we as humans think we're any different why if, if elite athletes need to build in rest and recovery what's so special about us that think we can just keep powering on mm. without building that rest and recovery in so for me, I needed to think about what sort of, what does, re- what does rest and recovery look like for me? And for me, it's things like switching off cognitively. So not reading about health and not, you know, listening to a podcast that has nothing to do with health and psychology, um, reading fiction, um, listening to music. So there's a really interesting um, book about the different types of rest that we all need so it's not just about lying on lying down. It's not just about watching Netflix, but it's all about spiritual rest, cognitive rest, um, physical rest. So actually thinking about what's going to work for you and what works for me might not be what, what works for the next person. So what's what are you going to be happy doing? And also recognising that if you don't build in some sort of rest and recovery, you actually are putting yourself at a much greater risk of burning out. Which, at the end of the day, is not useful for you or anyone else.
2: And what does that look like, Sophie? Potentially for you know, I'm, I'm you know, you are steeped in this world of you know some of the dramas in the medical and health world, particularly early career doctors, for example, who are chronically overworked to the point of you know absolute physical exhaustion and danger for themselves and patients. Um, that's something that we've all heard about and read about. I'm sure you've reported about that for the ABC. Um, and, you know, I, I worked with a principal who said that she sleeps between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. That's the only time that she can find a way from the work she's got as a principal.
0: The thing about that, Tim, it's not sustainable on, mm. a, on a physiological level. So as much as you want to think you're giving the best of yourself to that job, at the end of the day, that is not sustainable for mm. that person in the long term. They will end up burning out and they will end up resenting that the fact they can't even get a good night's sleep and they also won't be performing at their best yeah you can't perform at your best with three hours sleep it's just not possible so as much as they you might think you're doing the right thing you actually can't you actually physically can't perform at your best yeah unless you are well rested and well fed and and everything else
2: um, well, you've got a few uh, tips that I saw on one of your social media things. You talk about uh, some breathing. You talk about some humming. You talk about some a, a very interesting one, which appeals to me, uh, the mammalian diving uh, reflex. Bit of cold water work, and you talk mm. about socializing and laughing, and you talk about meditation and yoga. Do you want to do you want to go through that list a little bit with us and talk about of some course. things that people can, you know, just regular people? can put in in snippets in their daily life to help regulate that nervous system?
0: Yeah, so look, it's about finding things, finding what appeals to you. So that particular post was on my Instagram, which was about about the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is a a nerve that runs from the brain down through the body. And they've now realised that if you you can do things to activate your vagus nerve, it can actually improve your um, ability to manage stress. And so that post was really giving people some different options for things that might work you know because for some people you know singing and humming activates the vagus nerve also um you know this is you, it's why a lot of people are getting into ice baths and cold water therapy because you know cold can activate the vagus nerve as well but so for some people they might have a shower and then just turn on the cold water right at the end other people do that mammalian diving reflex where you actually submerge your face into cold water i find that a little bit stressful so I don't do that but the there the easiest way to regulate your nervous system quickly and easily is through breathing practices and particularly making sure that your exhale is longer than your inhale because what that does is it slows everything down it slows your heart rate down it slows your respiratory and breathing rate down and you just instantly feel calmer And so I would urge people if they haven't, you know, looked at a breathing practice to think about, you know, doing some deep breathing from their abdominal. So many of us are like chest breathers, like where it's all in our chest, but if you can just get back into your abdomen, it really reduces the amount of stress and the amount of tension that you have. And um, there's another great technique called the um, physiological sigh. And this is something that, Professor Andrew Huberman talks about um, in his podcast. And I can just demonstrate the technique for you, Tim. So basically you take a, a one breath in, inhale, and then you do another inhale, and then you do a long exhale. And then by doing that, so you just go and then inhale again, and then a, and a
2: big There we go.
0: And you can feel your shoulders relax and you sigh it all out. Mm. And that physiological sigh is is really shown to um, be able to calm your nervous system and, and help you feel so much better. And the thing about that little technique is you could do it anywhere. You could do it, you know, sitting at your desk. You could do it if you're in a meeting and it's not going well or you're just having a stressful moment. So the key for me is to find those little techniques that you can just sort of adopt into your day so you don't have to sort of think, oh, now I'm ca- I need to find an hour to carve out to my you know exercise or meditation whatever Mm. you just think to yourself about five or ten minutes here five or ten minutes there because the cumulative effect it will it will all add up and you know and as we go through the day your nervous system will go through different phases you might there might be things that trigger you and you feel more stressed but the more you can build in these little sort of mini habits it helps build your resilience and what they call um, the window of tolerance for your nervous system. So you're better able to handle whatever life is throwing at you. The idea isn't that you're going to be calm all the time. The idea is that you build up your tolerance to whatever is going on so that you don't react. You're able to sort of take a, a moment and a step back and respond mm. rather than just react. So what's
2: going on. I'm, I'm looking forward to staff meetings from everybody who's listening to this podcast <laughs> where everyone's there sighing in the middle of a staff <laughs> meeting doing a bit of hyperventilating and sighing <laughs> it's uh it's all right it's a positive uh and a little shout out to Chris Lawrence if you're listening as well we know you're an ice bather as am I and others who are in our audience who might be doing the ice bathing bath keep doing it it's very good oh. for calming you know uh, bringing your parasympathetic nervous system into play, uh, I believe, so because the sympathetic nervous system is where the cortisols all starting to build up. That's where we're reacting exactly. to, to stimuli.
0: Yeah, exactly. And again, it's like using the science of the way your body works. So, and I guess I think to me this was a bit of the this is why I'm so interested in the nervous system. It was sort of like the missing link of when it comes to why do we feel the way we feel. You know, it's it's in your body you know you can't necessarily talk yourself out of anxiety but if you do things that change how you feel on a physical level Mm -hmm. then it's going to help you manage the reactions and manage what's going on on a physical because if you think about anxiety for a second tim it's a it's a physiological reaction people if you're if you have anxiety you might get the pounding heart you get the dry mouth you get the shaky hands so these are physical reactions so just telling someone to sort of you know, talk their way out of something where it's a very physical thing that's happening to you. If you think about how can I address this physically, you're much more likely to get a handle on it. Mm. And so that's why I'm really drawn to understanding and, and sort of teaching people about the nervous system and the vagus nerve so that we can better manage and we can understand when these things happen to us that can be quite uncomfortable, that we don't then compound that with thinking, oh no, I feel so anxious. I've got to do something about it. I've got to. And try to talk your way out of it. Rather mm. than this way, you can actually sort of breathe your way out of it, and before you know it, you'll be feeling so much better. And we try to sort of squash down these uncomfortable feelings just with more guilt or shame, or yeah. uh, you know, why am I feeling this way? I shouldn't be feeling this way, and that just compounds it, and that just makes mm. you feel worse. Mm. So this approach is a very pragmatic and evidence-based approach, so that you can have these tools at your fingertips. And you can put them into action when you need them or Mm -hmm. ideally do things every day so that if you do happen to have moments of anxiety or you feel triggered by someone saying something to you, you can sort of go, okay, that happened. And rather than just react to it, you can sort of think, oh, now's a good time to practice that the breathing I've been doing every morning. Now's Mm. a good time to get outside and go for a walk and, and just sort of take myself out of this situation and regroup and come back.
2: I really like the fact that um, I know from everything that I've read about your work and what I've seen you do on TV over the years, you're into the hard science of this stuff. You've mentioned evidence based a couple of times. I know um, you're working at a university at the moment as well, doing some guest lecturing there. um, And the hard science is important to you. And yet, a lot of what you're saying here, people, you know, have previously dismissed as a bit of soft science, perhaps, you know, the idea of breathing, the idea of cold water treatments, the idea of, you know, all, all of those things, you know, singing or humming, you know, the idea of getting out into nature, and um, not necessarily seen in the same way as hard science would be seen, but the truth of it is, from what you're saying there, they're one and the same. The hard science backs this up.
0: hundred percent. I think the the research is catching up with what people have just known for a long time. Yeah. The, the science is really catching up with what people have known, that these these practices make a difference to how you feel. And it's really only through things like, you know, being able to do, say, like a functional MRI on someone when they're meditating to look at what's going on in the different parts of the brain that you can actually see the impact of meditation on the brain and the parts that are lighting up, um, the parts that are activated when you meditate. So technology has also really helped us understand the value of these sort of tools and techniques that technology we didn't necessarily have before. Mm. And so I find that fascinating as well. And to me, understanding. The science really means that you don't need to wait for the motivation to do these things because even if you don't want to do a breathing practice or you don't want to meditate and you just do it anyway, then it will still make a difference to how you feel. It will still change your your neurochemistry. It'll mm. because the science shows that that's what that's what happens. Yeah, you know, that's what happens when we when we connect with people. You know. Um, we we mirror each other's um, expressions and images. So if you're if you're hanging out with someone and have a coffee with someone who's really uplifting and you know fills you with joy and you're smiling and laughing, then you they're smiling and laughing. You start smiling and laughing yeah. too. Yeah. And that's just the science of that is really strong. And so in the past we might not have realized oh we just enjoy being with that person, but now we understand what's going on from a scientific point of view, and it makes you realize that you actually sort prioritising being with those people and having those connections, it actually is such an important part. And it helps balance out the other side, which is being busy and working hard and, and, you know, having a lot of stress to deal with. You've got to build in these other things that acts, mm. acts as a bit of an antidote to to
2: everything else. Yeah, you're describing there the concept of limbic resonance, which is just such a beautiful concept that, you know, the fact that, you know, how you are feeling actually impacts how I am feeling, even interestingly, through a Zoom screen as we're doing now, as I sit there and watch you smile as you're talking about this stuff, it's elevating me. And
0: uh Exactly, and like huh? you, and that's something you've got to think about. Um, the energy and that you're bringing to whatever interactions you have with other people? Mm. What, what, what's the energy that you're bringing to that? And also, are you making sure to prioritise connecting with people who really bring the, that sort of positive energy to, to you as well? Because it's definitely a two-way street. And, you know, there are some people you can be around that when you leave them, you feel like, oh, God, that was a bit of a drag, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you feel like that was, you know, hard work. And then other people you leave and you think, wow, I feel uplifted. And that was just so fantastic. And and it can even be via Zoom. You don't um but 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 connection is a really important part. Mm. And so when I looked at recovering from burnout, there were a couple of different things that I looked at as part of the recovery. And it was um having breathing practices, it was committing to a to mindful movement, and it was uh, focusing and prioritizing connection connection that was really meaningful that you could which again doesn't have to be something that takes a lot of time it can be picking up the phone and speaking to someone you haven't spoken to for a while but just making sure that you're prioritizing that because they're the sort of things that can drop to the bottom of your to-do list yeah absolutely You just never get to but when you do them you just get so much benefit from it
2: um, I know you're interested um, in the world of positive psychology and the work of Martin Seligman from uh, University of Pennsylvania, and Dan and I do quite a bit of work in that in that realm as well. Um, and, you know, his, his lovely PERMA model that, you know, you've touched on elements of that along the way, um, you know, that idea of developing, you know, that acronym of PERMA, positive relationships, uh, engagement, um, positive emotions, sorry, engagement, positive relationships, Meaning and accomplishment. How does that work out in your life, Sophie, or how do you how do you sort of um, support others in that way?
0: well, I think I think the the perma model and those looking at the spectrum of of those different things, I think it's good to look at when when you're not feeling great, often it can be good to step back and think what's actually missing from those different things. Yeah. Like, am I not prioritizing my relationships and relationships particularly, are so important to your overall well-being. Mm. So ensuring that um, you're prioritizing good communication with the in your relationships because often it can be a, a lack of good communication that can cause problems in relationships. So I think I think that bigger picture approach is actually extremely valuable for people mm. to look at, you know, when it comes to the spectrum of your relationships and your your well-being, what are you really? not focusing on what are you missing out on Mm. and and I think also having that sense of doing something meaningful and you know you asked me sort of why am I drawn to this sort of work I think it is because I do get a great sense of uh, fulfillment and meaning in in not only just sort of writing about this and talking about it but feeling like I'm able to share these tools like you do in the podcast with people who are really going to get a lot of benefit from it And so even my goal, my goal is that even if one person takes one of the tools and puts it into practice, then it's been worthwhile.
2: In relation to stress and anxiety, if we can just sort of go there again for a minute, you know, talk about some of the things that um, that are negatives that come about as a result of being stressed or anxious, you know, this idea that our concentration actually dips. Our digestion's not as good when we're stressed and anxious. Um, our emotional regulation obviously takes a, a bit of a hit. And I know that uh, you've talked about this acronym um, to reduce stress of ROAR, uh, R-O-A-R, this idea of recognising, owning, activating and recharging. Um, people love to have a practical tool. Tell us, tell us a little bit about ROAR um, as it, as it uh, may pertain to some listeners.
0: So the, the idea with that, I mean, the first part to, to recognise, uh, look, I think the thing with stress and anxiety, particularly with stress, it's often that we are reacting straight away to what's going on around us. So any technique that you can have which just helps you put a pause in things and take a step back and respond in a way that you actually want to respond rather than just simply reacting straight away. Yeah. So that that technique about about recognising, owning, acting and then recharging is really just about giving yourself the permission and time to be able to just take a step back from Mm. reacting immediately to whatever is the trigger or the stimulus. And that can be, I mean, that can be with someone at work, that can be your child, (laughs) that can be, you know, someone who might say something to you or your partner. And often it's when we just react straight away rather than think, how do I actually want to respond to this situation in a way that is going to be good for me and good for the person on on the other side. And it's this real skill that we need to develop. It doesn't sort of come naturally, particularly if you're busy or stressed. But so that that's the idea with that technique. It's about being able to just step back and recognize that we do have a choice in the way we respond, even though we don't often think so, but just taking a moment to to recognise that and then think, how do I actually want to respond to this situation? Okay, this has happened, this is what I'm going to say, mm. rather than sort of reacting and then maybe regretting what you've said or regretting that interaction. Yeah, so finding that moment to pause, that space, um, can be really, really beneficial for people. And yeah. I think often it can be, though, if, you, if you're building in practices during the day, like breathing and, like, you know, getting some i mean i'm also tim when i when i talk about exercise i didn't do any sport at school i'm not i'm the most unsporty person ever but i've again recognize the value from a mental health point of view of just of movement yeah. so i say to people just listen to your body and rather than have the all or nothing thinking of i've got to go to the gym and flog myself at the gym no you're better off to if you feel like just going for a walk around the block just do that and <laughs> just go for a walk around the yeah. block if you feel like just jumping on youtube and finding a you know yoga class that you that appeals to you just do that you don't need to fulfill anyone else's you know view of what exercise looks like or should be
2: yeah yeah we've been fed an interesting one there haven't we my my dad's nearly 85 years old and he lives uh he lives in the countryside and he walks every day uh down into the bush and he he does it deliberately, but he also does it very intuitively and he's in great shape because he's always looked up but he you know, he's never stepped foot in a gym. He he certainly uh um, you know, that's not his thing. But, yeah, it's small. And I, I really like what you said there about choice. I'm, I'm also chuckling to myself about your raw acronym. The idea is roaring like a lion, but really it's about stepping back and managing yourself so you don't roar like a lion. Um, <laughs>
0: True. But- and I love that your dad goes for a walk like that, and that's the same with my father-in-law who's 92. He um, lives by the beach in a nursing home, but he gets out every day and mm. walks along the promenade. Um, to get that exercise and to get that um, that stimulation and yeah, this, he's the same thing. He probably wouldn't really fancy going to a gym, but that's his that that works for him. And so you've got to find what works for you. Yeah. And There's no one right answer. And I think we can be often feel like if we're not doing this or that, we're failing, and then you end up doing nothing. But from a from a mental health point of view, you just you're better off to do whatever you feel like doing rather than doing nothing. And that's been a big mindset shift for me as well to think
2: that you're better off to do five minutes of something than, you know, the hour of nothing. Yeah. Um, just finally, Sophie, uh, and I really appreciate your time, but you mentioned the word choice there before, and I think choice is such an important element of this. You've said it a couple of times, and it makes me think about the work of um, Professor Barbara Fredrickson, uh, who I'm sure you know about, and she talks about this concept of whether, you know, making a choice about whether something's helpful or harmful for us.
0: And I love that concept. Yeah. I actually met her and interviewed her at the um oh. World Happiness Conference was in Melbourne a few years ago.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's a such that is such a helpful phrase mm. is, is to ask yourself, is this helpful or harmful? And that helps you that that can help you so much in terms of the choices that you make mm. when it comes to, you know, saying yes to something, when it comes to prioritizing where you're putting your time and your energy and your focus because ultimately a lot of things are helpful and a lot of things are harmful and if you're if you're having problems sort of prioritizing and you feel feeling overwhelmed that that's a key phrase to keep in the front of your mind you know is this mm. is this helpful is this harmful if it's helpful great let's do it if it's harmful then let's ditch it yeah and it can really take the pressure off feeling like you have to say yes to everything and feeling like you are overwhelmed with your responsibilities and and understanding that, you know, a lot of times, you know, you do have some choice over whether you, you can take up opportunities or not and that helpful versus harmful concept is a is a really great one to, for people to keep in mind.
2: Well I'm really glad that when given the choice to appear on this podcast <laughs> you chose that it was going to be helpful if not for yourself then for an, our audience at least certainly. Oh no
0: it's been great Tim it's been a fantastic chat I've really enjoyed it.
2: Oh that's fantastic and I, as have I and I hope it's really useful for our listeners who used that term before as well and that's that's the key for us to 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 create useful content so that people can do something with it in order to live happier and healthier lives. Um,
0: 100%. yeah,
2: well, thanks so much for your time, Sophie. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks Tim. Yeah. Travel safely. Thank you.
1: Good chat Perco. Um, the, the one of the, I mean, a lot stuck out for me there, but, um, the phrase, is it helpful or harmful? Obviously that's something we, um, ask a lot of the people we're working with as to whether it's useful or not. And it's, um, It's such a powerful, powerful way of framing things, you know, rather than just being mindless or just sort of being on autopilot, actually taking a moment and saying, okay, well, you know, is it helpful or or harmful for me to, whether it is, you know, just drink away your feelings or, or, you know, keep working at the intensity that you are being able just to take a moment and go, well, how's this playing out? I think is really, really, um, it, it's it's almost self-evident, it's almost so obvious, except when you're in the heat of the moment, mm. not having that moment <laughs> to stop and ask.
2: Yeah, and she, you know, Sophie went through this experience of, as she described to us there, you know, she went through this burnout experience herself, where she realised she was saying yes to too many things, she was doing it somewhat mindlessly, um, just in, in the sense that she's got so much she wants to do, she's on a bit of a crusade, mm. um, and so saying no is very difficult for her, but realising that in certain situations, you know, this this work that we talked about there from Barbara Fredrickson, mm. uh, Professor Barbara Fredrickson, talking about whether something's helpful or harmful. Um, and if we go back to episode 30, the interview that we did with Lucy Holmes,
1: Exactly, that's what I was really thinking about when she was talking, when I was listening to the chat, yeah.
2: Yeah, because she, Lucy, really talks about that idea in, in very stressful circumstances mm. of just taking a moment and asking yourself a question is this good for me
1: and and in in Lucy's case you know without going into too much detail but in Lucy's case going against the the common wisdom going Mm. against the you know this is what you do in this situation and 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 Lucy taking a moment and going whoa whoa, whoa, actually that would not be helpful for me in fact it would be harmful for me to do what people are advising me to do here, Um, you know, so taking a step back and being able to make different choices, you know, and I think that notion of choice, once we recognize, you know, that we have choice, not a great deal, as it happens, you know, often I'll talk about the idea of, you know, recognizing that what we have control or choice over is actually a really narrow band within our experience. You know, we can't control other people's feelings. We can't control, um, you know, how people um, respond to us, react to us, um, how they go about their life. We can't control, you know, th- uh, many things which are happening in the world. Mm. But we can control or we do have a choice about where we, you know, choose to spend our time and, and where we choose to put our focus. And I think once people recognise that, yeah, it's an incredibly narrow band that we do have control over, but the depth of the, within that band is actually you know really worth mining right you know whether it's something as simple although it turns out not simple you know controlling our breathing um or whether it's controlling where we put our time you know and i know that you uh, you like to uh three or four d's in terms of whether you do something yeah, or what yeah. were the other ones
2: yeah so she talked about that idea which i really liked you know of ditch mm. delay or delegate and i think I'm interested in what you're saying there about that nar- narrow band of things that you can control, but there is a depth to it. And, you know, this has got a lot of potential application in that, um, you know, whether whether we're a footy player who's dropped the kickoff, who says, okay, I've got to ditch that, I've got to let that go, you know, back to this idea that's so big in sport these days of control the controllables um, or, or whether, you know, it's an unhelpful thought that we need to ditch or something we've been asked to do that we're not prepared to do. Ditching, delaying, delegating. I think there's some really helpful, simple tips there from Mm. Sophie.
1: And I think it has real strong parallels with um, Eisenhower's Matrix, uh, Mm. which Stephen Covey popularised in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And also I talk about it in the Active Leadership book. And actually, I'm just thinking now, I recently put together a small kind of self-guided coaching video around um, how to, you know, Instead of thinking about time management, as you alluded to in the um, in the in the chat with uh, Sophie, you know this idea of choice management. And I think, you know, w- what I'll do is I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you're interested in um, having a look at how you view your time, or more importantly, how you choose to spend your time. Um, Just click on the link there, and and, yeah, it's about a, I don't know, 10 or 15 minute um, self-paced coaching um, session in which I walk you through how to apply Eisenhower's matrix to your own, what I'd imagine is a never-ending to-do list. Yeah. As we always say, if you found that conversation worthwhile like Tim and I did, there's a fair chance that someone in your network's going to find it worthwhile. So please share this podcast as far and as wide as you can. And just before you log off, why not leave us a comment on the podcast sharing with us what you found interesting what you found worthwhile maybe rate the podcast and of course please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen if you're interested in finding out more about our work or if you've got a question for an upcoming Q&A or maybe you'd like to suggest a guest that we should be getting on and and chatting to then head over to habitsofleadership.com and click on the podcast page but until our next episode thanks for joining us Perko thanks very much Dan and thank you for listening take care take it easy